Okay, morning. Um, we're continuing in the Book of Acts, uh, uh, a series called Unstoppable. And uh, today's message is called Unstopped by Geographical Boundaries. Um, as, I, I, as I prepared, I remember the movie that came out in 2010 called Unstoppable, uh, which was uh, a movie about a train that uh, started rolling and it rolled uncontrollably. There was no man to man the train, to stop the train. As, as the train continued to, to go un uncontrollably, uh, one would have said that the easiest thing to do was uh, to, to derail the train so that it stopped the train. But they could not derail the train because there was something in the train that, that would have harmed human lives and also harmed the, the, the environment. And that, that was uh, toxic chemicals inside that train. And that is the same thing that we see in the church, in the, in, the, in the book of Acts, that they could not derail the church because there was something inside the church. They tried to do that by stoning Stephen, and they could not stop it because the church grew more and more and went further and further. And that thing, uh, the, uh, the book in, in, uh, in, in Matthew says, uh, in, in Matthew um, 16, it says that, on this, rock, the, on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not be able to prevail against it. And the thing that was built on that rock, and the very rock that, that uh, is spoken of in the book of Acts, is the Holy Spirit. It is so easy for us to think the book of Acts is about individuals, but rather it's about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is that toxic chemical in that train that cannot be stopped. And today I felt that it is important for us to just get a glimpse of who the Holy Spirit is, who he is and uh, what, he, um, what he does through the church. Because um, when we look through the church, we see his work, we see his mark throughout the, whole, the, the book of Acts. And for us to understand who the, the Holy Spirit is, we need to backtrack and go back to the beginning. There's something that uh, Bible scholars normally use to study the Bible. It's called the law of first mention. What the law of first mention means is that you look at the word, you take a word, and you, uh, if you see a word for the first time in the Bible, you go to the beginning, you go to where it is mentioned for the first time. And the surrounding passages will tell you more about that word. So in Genesis, a simple example, in Genesis 1 verse 1, the Bible says, In the beginning God created heaven and earth. The word God there is Elohim. It's the Hebrew word Elohim. And that means that God, our God is a creator. Our God is an originator. He does not take uh, material that exists. He, take, he, he, he creates things that are from nothing, from absolutely nothing. He's not, um, I'm sorry, I, I, don't, I don't mean to seem a bit, uh, uh, whether it's racist or tribalist, he's not like the Chinese. You take an iPhone and you just clone it. God does not clone things. He makes originals and you are an original. In Genesis 1 verse 2, it says that the world was formless. It was empty. It was void. There was nothing on the, in the world. But God's spirit was hovering over the world. Have you ever thought that, have you ever wondered why the Holy Spirit was hovering over the world? In the Message Bible says it was brooding over the waterless abyss. There was absolutely no one in the world, but the Holy Spirit was over the whole world. 
Because the character and the nature of the Holy Spirit is to fill the whole world. That is his character. He wants to fill the whole world. He wants to cover the whole world. It is his nature just to envelope the whole world. In Psalms 139 verse uh, 7, Psalms 139 verse 7, the word of God says, Where could I go from your spirit? Or where could I flee from your presence? If I ascend up into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the dawn and settle in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand will lead me, you are your, and your right hand will hold me. If I say, surely the darkness will overwhelm me, the light around me will be night. Even the darkness doesn't hide from you, but the night shines as the day. The darkness is like light to you. So we see that the nature and the character of the Holy Spirit is just to cover the whole world. That is his nature. But if you had to compare that to our nature as human beings, our nature is geographically bound. We are defined by time and space. That is who we are defined by. That's what we are defined by. We are defined by time and space. A man cannot go, cannot cover the whole world, but there is this individual called the Holy Spirit who can cover the whole world. And that is his nature. And if I, let me just quickly uh, explain what geographical boundaries are. Geographical boundaries are natural boundaries where, they, where we find separations, uh, regions on earth separated. Uh, and on those, re, uh, on those uh, natural um, boundaries, we find man-made boundaries. Let me quickly explain that. Right now, at Baybridge, there's, a, there's Limpopo. There's the river Limpopo, which is a natural boundary. But the reason why there is a border is because man made a boundary to separate South Africa and Zimbabwe. So we find man-made boundaries. So there are four things that we find in geographical boundaries. The first one is natural boundary, which I've spoken about. It's, it's uh, the, the land, the mountains, rivers. Those are the things that separate us from each other. The second thing that separates us is social boundaries. That is um, talking about people groups. Your color, your race, your, your skin color, your, your, the color of your eyes, the color of your hair, and gender. Those are the things that separate us. The third thing that separates us is linguistic boundaries. That talks about languages, speech, dialect, accents. Those are the things that separate us. The fourth thing that separates us is uh, political boundaries. These are uh, ideologies. These are uh, values that we carry of family, uh, whether it's family values or work ethic. These are the things that separate us. And um, the thing that God has, the problem that God has with geographical boundaries is um, uh, the two challenges that I found in, in, in the Bible, um, uh, well, as I thought about this, is uh, the first uh, challenge that we find with geographical boundary is the trap, something I've termed the trap of geographical boundary. There is the trap of geographical boundary. If you had to do a history of, um, of all cultures in the world, cultures, tribes, people, groups, you would all come across one thing, a religious system in every culture, in every tribe, and in every people group. There's a religious system that is the central focus of that people group. 
And God, God really does not like religious systems. In Genesis 11 verse 1, Genesis 11 verse 1, to come up, but I'll read from here. It says, the whole earth was of one language and one speech. That is a linguistic boundary. As they traveled east, they found a plain in the land of Shina, and they lived there. That is a natural boundary. And they said to one another, come, let's make bricks and burn them thoroughly. They had brick for stone, and they used tar for mortar. That is a political boundary. That's an ideology. And they said, come, let's build ourselves a city and a tower whose top reaches to the sky, and let's make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad on the, on the surface of the whole earth. God came, to, came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men built. God said, behold, um, behold, they are one people. That is a social boundary. And they, will, they have all one language, and this is what they, are, they have begun to do. Now nothing will be withheld from them, which they intend to do. Come, let's go down, and they confuse their language, that they may not understand one, uh, one another's speech. So God scattered them abroad from, the, from there on the surface of all the earth, and they stopped building the city. So we see that, um, um, let, let me just quickly explain this. Uh, this is just after the flood, and uh, as man multiplies and they, 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 they grow in population, they decide to move away from the ark and they move east. And they come to a place called Shina. Shina is a plain now uh, that is, uh, that w which we, we, we know in the Bible, if you have done your Bible, uh, if you have read the Bible, it is a place called Babylon. Later on, it to be called Babylon. And in Revelations uh, 17, the Bible says, Oh, mystery woman, uh, Babylon, you have fallen. Fallen is Babylon. And that God has a problem with a religious system which brings people together and does not go out into the whole world. So this place called Shina, people gather and they decide, let us build a city whereby we will be one people. But from that city they build a tower which will go into heaven and will be the central focus of all religion in the whole world. And God does not like that. He does not like that, so he scatters the people so that they do not do this thing because they were going to achieve it according to what God says. And the problem that God has with a, a religious system in the geographical boundary is that a religious system is self-reliant rather than God-reliant. Man is, is reliant on religious activities that he does for righteousness rather than what God has said and prescribed for righteousness. And, we will con and as we, we continue to go down, we will see the same thing happening in Israel and we will see it happening in the early church religious system and the trap of geographical boundary trapping the early church and the, the Israelites. For when the Israelites received the law and the Ark of the Covenant and the temple, and they built the temple in Jerusalem, the, it was now a requirement for all Israelites to go to Jerusalem. All Israelites that were male to, to experience true worship had to go to Jerusalem. For you to experience the feasts that were uh, ordained by God, you had to go to where? To Jerusalem, a geographical location. 
You could not worship God from where you were. You had to go to a place. In John 4 verse 9, 19, Jesus talking to the woman by the well. John 4 verse 19. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour comes when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship that which you don't know, we worship that which we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour comes and is now when true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. The Father seeks such to be worshippers. God is spirit. Those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. So the, in essence, what Jesus is saying there to the woman is, there is coming an hour and the time when true worship would not be based in a geographical boundary, to not be based in a location. It will now be widespread. People will be able to worship wherever they are. It will, you will not have to go to, to a mountain in Samaria or to Jerusalem to worship God. You can worship God wherever you are. The second challenge I see with um, religious boundaries is the limitation, of, uh, the limitation of geographical boundaries. The limitation of geographical boundaries. Jesus realized that um, when he was in Capernaum, he could not be in Mexico. When he was in, by, the, by the well, he could not be in Bulawayo here speaking to us. He was defined by his physicality. He was a human just like you and, my, uh, you and I. He, he was flesh and blood just, just like you and I. He could not be anywhere else except where he was physically. And realizing that, that limited him and he could not be where he needed to be to cover the whole world. He said there is one I'm sending who is called the Holy Spirit. Now, now, let me quickly explain. The Holy Spirit is not an underling of uh, the Trinity. He is the, an equal in the Trinity. He, Jesus says, I'm sending another. That word another is the same. He's saying, I'm sending the same, pers uh, same in, in, in caliber, in same in DNA, same kind like me. But this one operates differently. This person is different from the rest of uh, the, the rest of the Trinity. He is different. In John, in John uh, 16 verse um, John 16 verse 7 it says it is to your advantage that I go so that he, the counselor, may come. And that word advantage means it's to your benefit, it is to your privilege, it is to your gain and it's profitable for you that I go and you receive the Holy Spirit. And when Jesus Christ died and rose from the dead, he, he, he spent 40 days with his disciples, and he was teaching them about the kingdom of God. For 40 days, he taught them about the kingdom of Theos, God. But after 40 days, the disciples have one question to ask him. Are you at this time going to establish the kingdom of Israel? Are you going to establish a geographical boundary? rather than the kingdom of God. 
In Luke 17, the kingdom of God does not come by observation, by saying here it is or there it is, it is in your heart. That is the kingdom of God. It is something that is in the heart. It is not something physical. So these disciples thought that God at that very moment was going to establish the kingdom of Israel. And they were not wrong because Jesus says it is not for you to know the times or the seasons. Because these guys thought they were, Jesus was going to establish at that very moment the millennial reign of Christ. But Jesus says, no, right now it is not the agenda of God to do that. The agenda of God is the following. In Acts 1 verse 8. Acts 1 verse 8, he says, I will pour, sorry, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in, some, in Samaria, and to the end of the earth. They wanted a restoration of Israel. But Jesus said, there is coming a time, or right now, the agenda of God is the restoration of the whole world. That is the restoration of the whole world. But the common catalyst and the common um, uh, thing in that verse is the Holy Spirit. Remember, we said he wants to cover the whole world. Whenever we are empowered by the Holy Spirit, we want to cover the whole world because that is his agenda. The Holy Spirit's mission is the Great Commission. It's to go out into the whole world and, cre and, and make disciples of all people, of all nations. That is the Holy Spirit's mission. But as we continue, we see that uh, in, Acts, um, in Acts 2, verse 4, these guys, uh, when they're in the upper room, they receive the Holy Spirit. And uh, the Bible says they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with, one, with another language as, they, as the Spirit gave them the ability to speak. Now they were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under the sky. I will just pause there and just quickly explain what happened in, on the day of Pentecost. Pentecost is a Greek word that simply means 50. But in the Jewish calendar, it was a, a Jewish feast, uh, feast whereby it was, uh, it's called the Feast of of weeks or the feast of ingathering. So, um, what happened uh, in the, uh, the the scenario here is that uh, Jews from all over the world have come into Jerusalem. Remember, we we talked about the geographical boundary that everyone had to come to Jerusalem to worship God. So here, Jews have to come to Jerusalem. All able-bodied males have to come to Jerusalem to, to celebrate three feasts. The first feast they had to celebrate was the Feast of Passover or Unleavened Bread, where, where um, the, whereby uh, the Israelites uh, put blood of the lamb on, on their doorpost and the, the, the angel of death passed. And uh, that was a symbolism of salvation, your salvation. The second uh, feast they had to celebrate, which is uh, Pentecost, which is um, in-gathering of uh, wheat and barley harvest. And also it is the Feast of Weeks, which is 50 days after Passover. So what happened there is it's, it's, it's uh, in-gathering. Right now we are in that, in that time where God is gathering people from all walks of life, uh, of all walks in, uh, in every tongue in this world. 
This uh, feast is, uh, is symbolic, is, is parallel to what happened on Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai, Moses went up. The 120, uh, 120 were in the upper room. In Mount Sinai, Moses received the Lord. The 120 received the, the Holy Spirit. In Mount Sinai, Moses came down and saw the people were, were celebrating uh, because they'd made a golden calf. And 3,000 people died on that very day. In, in, uh, in the book of Acts, 100, uh, 120 came down from the upper room and 3,000 people got born again on that day. So it's, this, it's so parallel. Then the last uh, feast that, that's there is the Feast of Tabernacles, where it is uh, symbolic of the millennial reign of Christ. When we are gone, Christ will come and he will reign with the Jews at that time. But what I, as we continue in verse 6, it says, when this, when this sound was heard, the multitude came, uh, Acts 2 verse 6, when this sound was heard, the multitude came together and were bewildered because everyone heard them speaking in his own language. They were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Behold, and all these who speak Galileans, how do we hear everyone in our, in our own native language? Patheans, uh, Medes, Elamites, the people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phryga, Pamphylia, Egypt, the parts of Libya, around Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes. A proselyte was a Gentile who converted into Judaism. Cretans and Arabians, we hear them speaking in one, in our languages, the mighty works of God. So these guys, in one single day, they heard them, they heard the message of salvation because the great work of God was Jesus dying and, and, being ro and rising from, from, from death and sitting at the right hand of God the Father. So in a single day, this is what happened. The following ha happened. The map. In a single day, I know some of you might, may not be able to see, but Jerusalem is right here. In a single day, this whole part of the world was covered in just one single day. Rome is up here. Crete... Cyrene, Egypt, uh, Arabia, uh, Elam, Medes, uh, Parthians, uh, Mesopotamia, and Cappadocia. This whole part was covered in one single day. This shows us the nature of the Holy Spirit. He just wants to cover. His default, unlike our default, is just to stay, but he just wants to cover. And when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you want to go. You just want to go. Where? You don't know, but you just want to go. It's, it's, it, it, you, you get a life. You get a life group. You go to a life group. When the Holy Spirit comes on each one of us, we just need to go, and we just want to go. But the problem with Christians and the problem that we see in the early church is that they all wanted to camp around this little fire. Christians, believers, all want to camp. When something spectacular happens, they all want to camp. They want, they want to pitch their tents and camp there. But God wants us to go out into the whole world. It reminds me of Peter. When Peter, when they went up onto the Mount, uh, Mount Transfiguration, they saw Jesus um, uh, transfigured, and he was bright like the sun. 
And Peter says, will, will you at this moment, uh, would, you, would you mind if I pitched three tents for you, Elijah, and Moses? We all want to camp in moments. We want to make monuments just in moments. But rather, we ought to invest in the eternal. You see, the eternal, are so, it's souls. It's not, it's not your house. It's not your car. It's not uh, things that, that are so momentary. But it is the eternal. It's somebody out there who has never received Jesus Christ as their Lord. And here I'm not saying we go into the nations. Uh, um, some will be called to the nations, but some will be called to workplaces. You'll be called to other people's houses. It is very important for us to understand that we are called to go out. Um, it, it, isn't it so amazing how we as Christians will run to Nigeria, will run to America just to experience the momentary? just to experience men of God, women of God, or singers, but yet we are called to go out and experience and, and, and uh, spread and advance the kingdom of God. That is what we are called to do. Paul says the following in Philippians 3 verse 7. Whatever gain I, have, I had, I counted all loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything a, lo uh, a loss compared to the, the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. I compare everything as loss. I compare the moment when the Holy Spirit fell on me as the 120, as loss, as long as I can know Jesus Christ. I will not build tents and camps in Jerusalem, but I will go out because that is what the Holy Spirit is. Now, let me tell you an interesting fact. Acts 1 verse 8. Acts 1 to, uh, to, to Acts 8. That is a period of one year. A lot of things happen in one year. Lots of things happen. People come, instead, as you saw on the map, those people were not residents of, uh, of Jerusalem. They were all people that lived in various parts of the world. The, a, a common example right now, a modern example, is uh, what happens in, in the Hajj and my, uh, is in Mika, Micah, where Muslims uh, go to, to the Hajj and, and they pilgrimage there. And um, they, they don't live in that place. They just pilgrim, but they have to go back to where they live. And th these, these Israelites were meant to go back where they lived, but they decided... To camp, uh, to, to, to camp and build tents. And in the period of one year, Acts 1 up to Acts 8, period of one year, God had had enough. He saw enough that he realized that these people are falling back into the trap of geographical boundaries. If I don't disturb this thing, these people will build another religious system. And in Acts 8, a man called Paul or Saul arises and he persecutes the church. And I often wonder, it's just my mind, it's just mind playing. I often wonder, isn't that the same thing that's happening in Zim? We've got millions of people that have left Zim to go to other parts of the world. And I, a man called Saul, I won't go any further, you who has ears, let him hear. <laughs> a man called Saul arises and he persecutes the church. And the church now is forced to go out 
Philip goes to Samaria. And um, other Jews go to a place called, um, they, they travel, uh, they continue, um, if the map had gone, it was still up, they continue up uh, from Jerusalem, going up, and they go to a place called uh, Cyprus. Um, they continue from right here, Jerusalem, and they continue up to uh, for, uh, Phoenicia, and here, this is Cyprus. Then they continue up to a place called Antioch. And from there, it is the first church that is um, of all tribes and all people. All tribes and all people. And from that church, missionary begins. From Antioch. God stops scattering the church from Antioch and starts sending out the church. Two things. It's either you're scattered or you're sent out. There are two things that, that will happen in life. There, um, there's a man called uh, Wes Granberg Michelson. He writes about migration and um, a movement of, of uh, people in, um, in the world. He says the following. He says the following. Um, uh, sorry. It say, uh, let me read it. It says, uh, the religious landscape is particularly changing from, for the world's Christians. A century ago, 80% lived in North America and Europe compared with just 40% today. In 1980, more, than, more Christians were found in the global south and north, which is your America. For the first time in, 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 uh, in 1,000 years, today the Christian community in Latin America and Africa alone account for one billion people. That's one in, uh, one in seven. One, uh, one in seven is a, is a Christian, just in Latin America and Africa. Over the past 100 years, Christians grew from less than 10% of Africa's population to nearly 500 million today. One out of four Christians in the world is an African. About 214 million people have moved from one country to another as migrants and, refugee, and refugees or are, in the pro, or are in that process. Those captured in today's headlines are Africans clinging to precarious vessels trying to cross the Mediterranean. A Mediterranean and or the hundreds of thousands uprooted in Syria and Middle East. But the striking religious factor is that overall about 105 million who have migrated are Christians. So a half of that 214 are Christians. Sociologists report that the process of migration typically increases the intensity of religious faith. Whatever its form of those uh, persons crossing borders of nations and cultures, fresh spiritual vitality in both North America and Europe is being fueled by the process of global migration. So what we see happening in Africa as people are clinging on boats and going into Europe or are going into America, God is still covering the whole world. The Holy Spirit is still covering the whole world. His agenda has not changed. His nature has not changed from Genesis 1 verse 2. It's still the same up to now. His nature is to just go out into the whole world. And today we've got uh, Bram from uh, Highway Church, which is just an example where he has just uh, uh, decided, um, let me come to a place called Zimbabwe. Let me cross the, the border and, and uh, spend some hours at Baybridge border post and come to Zimbabwe and bless the nation of Zimbabwe. We, we, we cannot, and uh, I, I, this is just an encouragement, we cannot expect Kilton to go by himself to, to Olocho. 
We cannot expect him to do that. Because we are not only a local church, but we are a translocal church. As much as your money is needed, you are needed. You are, it's, it's a hard thing to say, but you are needed. We have to go out. It's a hard thing to do, but we need to go out. Otherwise, God goes and looks for the next person, and otherwise you will be scattered. It's either you are sent or you are scattered. And, to, and as I prepared this, I noticed that uh, there are certain people that might leave um, this uh, might go to university or might go to other parts of the world uh, by, by the end of this year. So I would, um, if, if you know you're that person or you're going out into uh, whichever part of the world, uh, I, I would, uh, as I close, I would ask Vesi as he comes up, uh, just to, as you stand up, just to pray uh, that you go knowing that your, your focal point is the advancement of the gospel. It's not about money. It's not about uh, your welfare. Those are secondary. There's a man that once said this. He said, you take care. You give God the very thing that he needs. He will give you everything that you need. You give God souls, he will give you everything you need. So we have it all backwards. God, give me everything I need and I'll preach the gospel. But God says, give me everything I need, and I will give you all that you need. As we were worshiping, this verse came up in Isaiah 43, verse 2, as I close. It says, when you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burnt. And the flame shall not, be, shall not consume you. God is with you. 